Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 300 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we're taking a little trip back in time because I was really late in getting this up. So uh, it's all about Leo Gang, the, the third race in the World Cup cross-country mountain bike series. It's still relevant. Uh, we, we talk a lot about Puck. She just won the European Mountain Bike Cross Country Championship. So uh, every everything we say here, you can just pour it over and include that that race as well. Uh, before we get to it, just really quickly, I want to remind you that Cyclocross Radio is part of the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network, which includes the Slow Ride Podcast. Nowhere Fast, Criterium Nation, Grodio, and the show you're listening to right now, Cyclocross Radio. That's that's five exceptional podcasts sort of covering the world of competitive bike racing. Please go check out all of those shows. You can find them on all of your podcast apps and online and on Spotify. And if you dig what you're hearing, uh, how you can help us continue to do this is to go to wideanglepodium.com, hit the donate button, and become a member. And once once you do that, you will. What what happens is that that your donation, your subscription, is split between the network as a whole. So we can do things as a network and take care of maintenance as a network, and then. You also can choose the shows that you wish to support. So if you wanted to support this show, Cyclocross Radio, give it a check. If you want to support Grodio, the other show that I'm on with Amanda Nauman, go and uh, to support that too. And that's about it. There, there are a lot of podcasts out there. I know that. There are, there are millions. And uh, I appreciate that you uh, have stuck with this one. Uh, and we've been around a while, and we want to continue. So, wideanglepodium.com. All right. It's episode 300 of Cyclocross Radio. We've got Elizabeth and Zach. We're talking about Leo Gang, cross country, short track, a smidge of downhill. And we're doing all of it. All of it. Right now. We're back in the in the media pit for for another week of World Cup mountain bike racing. This time from Austria, and uh, we have Elizabeth and Zach back. I guess um, so. I guess Bodie just he's he's he can go on the slow ride. He can uh, record. Yeah, you ride. Just just no time left for us. I, I'm not sure what's going on there with with uh, Bodie, but. Um, no, he's he's got his hands full. We miss him. We'll get him back eventually. Uh, where should we start, Zach? Zach, what's going on? How's how's Chicago? How's the bike riding going? Uh, it's good. After you know back surgery, we we're discussing all the things that I missed uh, when I had back surgery or whatever. I've been back on the bike. Lots of cool stuff going on in Chicago. Uh, last night did a uh, Chicago bike socks tailgate. So I have not, I think the last baseball game I went to last time I'd been to the white Sox game was 2006, maybe. And you put bikes by it. You put a tailgate, like 
put some bike racks and really good turnout, lots of good energy. So a really cool, uh, really cool thing here. So that was uh, pretty, pretty enjoyable to, to go down and watch baseball and they won. It was good. Nice. Elizabeth, you going down to Veteran Stadium doing the same? No. Is that because they raining. blew? Is that because they blew it up like twenty years ago? <laughs> it is. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good vintage reference there, though. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. There were I went out to dinner tonight. There were fireworks on my way home. So who knows? Maybe the Phillies are doing all right. I have no idea. Actually, right now it's too early. I'm a fair weather baseball fan. Or or, or if Philadelphia is anything like DC, people are just practicing for July Fourth. Just getting <laughs> ready, getting prepared. That. Yeah, there's that. Every every dog's least favorite holiday, indeed. Uh, all right. Um, so, Leo Gang, is this is this second or third year that we've we've been here? I feel like it's second, but did we do a? Did we? Is this year number three for this uh, venue? Is that asking? Well, Worlds was there. Okay. And then, uh, World. That was the that was the mud la- mud race. That was right? the mud mud race. Four. And then yeah, we've got a few other years okay. here. Well, because uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if Lo- Luana Lacomte has lost here yet. I don't. Okay. I don't know if she's lost a race coming into this period because she won worlds in the U23, and I'm pretty sure she swept both 21 and 22. Yeah, she won two in a row here, and so had Flicky. They had both double won one short track and one XCO two years in a row. So this is just me tipping my cards that I don't feel like this is a memorable track? Maybe not for anybody but Luana and Matias Flicking. I mean, I feel like the only part I really remembered was the the cyclocross section. Because it was just, I remember it from 2020 Worlds because it was so gnarly and it was just so, like, muddy that stuck in my head. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, they got to it in the short track. And I was like, oh, yeah. I remember that this exists. So that's probably the only part that I really remember. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I guess now thinking back on it, you remember, and just the climb, the, just that, the climb that never ended, that was also part of the short track. So we should uh, probably start there short track for this race you know again i i think the the fun thing about short track and what they've really done a good job dialing in is every week you go to a different venue every week you get a different style of short track from something that has technical elements into it that's something that looks more like a grass crit to this which was kind of like and i think even bart said this on the on the broadcast is kind of like a mini, just a mini XC. You know, it, it was sort of like the, the course proper that we were going to see on Sunday boiled down into a short track, basically climb up and then descend down. Let's take a dirt crit and put it at a 45 degree angle to the earth. Uh, so we'll take out any of the rocks, take out anything, Remotely technical, except if you consider off-camera grass technical, which it is. And it's not actually a skill that I think a lot of mountain bikers are actually very comfortable with. So interesting in that sense. Um, but yeah, no, this is both the the cr- short track and the cross-country course. Like in my mind, this is the lonely ski hill venue where you're just – you see a lot of the course because it's out in the open – and it just looks lonely and hard, but not fun hard, just like aerobically difficult. 
the images are really pretty. I will say, like when you when you yeah. when you see the images come out of it, and they're like, let me frame this perfect photo with large Alps in the background. You're like, oh, that looks cool. True. So maybe if you saw the pictures. Elizabeth, without this, you know, insight that you're bringing, you might be like, this look, course looks awesome. And you get there, you're like, oh, this, this is no bueno. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I will say this about the short track race, though. I, I think I was trying to think of this. It, the end of it reminded me kind of like, and this is a bad analogy, but kind of like a Zwift race with a hill, just because one, it, there's these hills in Zwift races that are really deceiving. You're like, Oh, like in real life, I'll just go ballistic on this hill and I'll get a winning gap and I'll hold it. And you never do. You never do. And I felt like the only interesting part or one of the interesting parts of the short track races, that hill was like kind of like a Zwift race hill where uh, some riders, cough, cough, Puck Petersa, were like, I'm going to attack with, you know, inside two to go because maybe I'll get away. And as long as the rider behind them, you know, like Pauline Front from Bo can stay close to her then it's just like you blow up and you, you don't get anywhere. And I, I think the same thing, there was some similar dynamic in the men's race. So that was kind of interesting, I guess, uh, from the large climby part uh, and just came to my mind watching it uh, as the way the race has played out. I'm just going for, uh, I'm just going for references to every other discipline that no one likes. <laughs> like I've done a gravel. So I did a gravel reference for the first weekend getting swift in here. So I'll work on what, what other disciplines are people kind of like, we'll try to get a crit reference in there next week. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I'll try to just keep them coming. Yeah. I mean, it's a time trial in the cross country race because by the end of the race, they're all solo. You know, it's pretty much like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, the broadcast team at one point, they were like, this is a track has seen some memorable racing. It's like, no, no, it, no, it really, it really hasn't <laughs> like <laughs> exhilarating think- or maybe they said it was exhilarating. I was like, yeah. mm, no, breathtaking for the athletes. Um, I did think, though, you know, Yolanda Neff in the pre-race for the short track said she called it the most physical and climby track. I mean, climby for sure, but she did call it the most physical of the short track courses, which I think is an it, it's an interesting thing to think about what that means um, and, you know, what sort of essentially brute force you need versus potentially tactics like what kind of just sort of brute strength you need on something like this and actually to shout out Bodhi is I think he's the one who sent a a message to the group text saying that he found it interesting that Luca Schwartzbauer would do so well on this course but when you think about the kind of power it takes to do 10-15 seconds flat out up a hill that's not the same as climbing for seven minutes um and doing like a more bursty technical climb if it's just flat like steady power output um it does suit somebody like that so for the women you know they all and i wanted to talk about this but they all they all just destroyed the first lap it that seemed to be which makes sense on this course and we talk about like the different kind of strategies for for hitting these short track courses where i think you're always going to start fast, but after that, it, much like a creator, much like a road race or whatever other, every discipline, it, it might let up a little once there's a, a group estab- established at the front. This is more just attrition. And if you look at the lap times, the 
final lap is not the fastest lap. They're, they're still they're going as hard as they can, but it's still not faster than they were going earlier in the race. But that's that's my my point here. What I wanted to get to is between for the women, it was between three oh two and three thirty. That's what you're doing these laps in. So three minutes thirty seconds. How much of that do you think is taken up by the downhill and the and kind of the finishing stretch? It has to be just like less than a third. Yeah. Easily. It felt like they were going up for a long period of time. Like even that you get to like the first part, it, it felt like it kind of like flattened out. And then they just kept going uh each lap. You're like, oh, that is that's a lot of climbing. Yeah, so you're looking at least a two minute all out climb every lap right so it's like a vo2 interval yeah and then you get a little a little rest but but even i don't know do you get rest i mean you look at like evie i think she might have been pedaling harder downhill than she was uphill i mean she was just kind of crushing the descent so it's just it just seems brutal yeah it's just like who's the strongest here that's all like what are the what are the tactics it it reminds me like like whoever the guy is with bart was asking him you know like with loana lecompte well are they are they you know are they marking her and he's like well you can't really mark somebody when you're climbing uphill as fast as you can you know you either can keep up or you can't yeah and i mean i think that's there's the comparison to doing intervals here is actually maybe maybe that's where I'm going, Zach. There's another discipline that's not like mountain biking at all, which is doing intervals on your trainer. You're doing a VO2 interval with two-minute max effort, 30 seconds rest in between, or maybe a minute. You're getting a minute rest. But I think – you know, the attacking either right before or then into the descent. And I think this is where, you know, in the women's race, you look at like the cyclocross racers, we're all treating this descent differently because they're used to going fast on off-camber grass. And I think, you know, for mountain bikers, that's not a comfortable feeling. It's not something you do a lot of. And so there is a little bit of an advantage there. And you see, PFP's comfortable with it. Puck's comfortable with it. Evie is wild and out and comfortable with it. Evie is, you know, on this course, notorious for really wilding out at the world's race in the mud and, you know, looking like absolutely no one else on course that day because of the way that she treated getting wild on this descent. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, you end up at the end of the day with none of those specialized team short track experts on the front row. You've got a different mix. I mean, if we're going to be biased in the media pit, it was three riders with cyclocross uh, Mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. And it was a different vibe, I guess, you know, maybe a few years ago, I'd have been like, oh, cool, a breakaway. But like you said, there was no tactics. And I guess for me, it's like the tactical part of this has become more interesting. And we had like a legitimate breakaway that formed relatively early in the race, you know, like Puck, Went for it in lap four, kind of dropped Evie a little bit, but Pauline was able to follow it. So, uh, yeah, it just seems like, you know, I mean, Pauline, to her credit, has tried a really good short track racer. I mean, I I don't know. Like, she just always seems to be, generally speaking, in the right place unless she gets crashes in. Was it Nova Mesto with the mud pit where she sent it a few years ago, like off the course or something? 
Uh, that doesn't happen. Her tactics have always been really good, and she withstood Puck's big attack, and then she unleashed a perfectly timed attack in the last lap and kind of knew she had it in her. So, yeah, another, like, good, but not the most interesting. It's kind of the vibe I'm getting from you guys. Like, not the most exciting uh, short track race here. What I want to do, maybe maybe I'll do this. Uh, I want to go back and... You know, we're talking about the off-camber on the descent, which is cool. And then we have Puck, who's using a traditional tripod, right foot out of the pedal, uh, coming down the off-camber, much like she's on her cyclocross bike. I want to time her coming down there. I want to know if this technique on her mountain bike is, in fact, quicker than if she would have just kept clipped in and you have a lot more knobs to work with on, on, on those cyclocross tires versus, I mean, and on, on the mountain bike tires versus the cyclocross tires. So I wonder, I wonder if she's still in that comfort zone for cyclocross and not really leaning into that mountain bike as much as you can. Again, she knows this much better than I do. This is, this is pure speculation. I just, I'm just curious with like her compared to somebody like Evie, like who made it down there faster all to say, this is my kind of like, without any evidence behind it, were her skills less than Pauline and Evie on that descent. And that's what sort of kept her from um, being able to kind of keep up doing more work on the downhills instead of the uphills, which gave her a disadvantage on the climbs. So Bill, now hear me out here. What if there was a series of videos? Yeah. I don't know that has done (laughs) stuff like this. Caprovision, right? Yeah. I'll, doesn't I'll con- quite work. I'll contact, I'll contact Cosmo and see if he wants to do one. Okay. All right. I'm just letting you know that you basically described a video. We've uh, we had someone slide into our Instagram DMs and said, "Hey, I need a CX and O, CXs and Os for this mountain bike race," and you just offered up a CX. I'm just letting you know. I'm just letting you know. I think, I think we're going to have to do it. Then that's all I want is from the short track, just a short track and a comparison of the off camber descents and i could be completely wrong she might have been taking time out of everyone but in the end it was pauline and her i'm gonna get out of my saddle on every on every climb and look like i'm you know racing on the road and just uh just being able to do it it was it was impressive yeah and it's only a five lap race i think like that's another thing that's you know maybe notable about this course is you know, usually we're seeing a short track course is like seven, maybe eight, maybe nine laps even. And this is just, it's a little bit longer. It's a little less laps. I mean, longer time to do each lap because of the significance of the climb in there. I want to just jump in on the uh, Bill's Bill's theory. I will say it seemed like she was giving to me, and I'm I, I'm look, just going to put this on the record so I can be proven wrong, and just knowledge of doing that. It seems like she was actually losing time through the turn, but the exit, I think if you can get clipped in, I, I felt like she was picking up time because maybe you take a higher, higher line and you skid down less or something and that you get back on it much quicker. So 
that was my observation. But again, that was just that's all vibes. That's no science behind it. So I, I really hope you do this video so we can get like the science and the numbers instead of like speculating on pure vibes here. I mean, I've got vibes part two, which is that I think she looked faster Puck looked faster in the cross-country race on this descent than she did in the short track race. So I, I want a comparison between her descending okay. in the two races. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, I did not to foreshadow this until she, like, did the whole, which I know Zach wants to talk about, the whole Namor on the uh, yeah. one section of that as, as well. Uh, all right. So what more do we need to say here? We had our three cyclocross, you know, one... Wait, Puck Puck was second at Worlds, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Has she ever did she get the U twenty three or is she always losing to Femme? Uh Fayetteville. Okay, so she won. All right. So we had three cyclocross world champions at one level or another in the top three of the of this race. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um and then uh, Ann Terpstra was up there, I guess, with them for a little while. Jenny Rizvids also up there with them for a little while. It's always good for short track to see sort of the uh, foreshadowing of the uh, cross-country race. Beck Henderson starting to, starting to show her face a little bit at the, uh, at the front of these races. We kind of missed her the first couple rounds, but she seems to be... Uh, returning to form. I think that's one of the questions we had coming into the season after such a, a breakout year last year, what she would what she would do this year. And I think I think with her, I think with Yolanda, I think with some of these other riders, their their strongest performances are are yet to come. So it'll be really interesting to see once we get into this middle of the season how they they perform. But it was good to see her mm-hmm. up there getting a first first row start. And then I think Bill to uh your predictions uh, last week, Mona showing up on the front row uh, and, and you know, coming good uh, on her home race. Um, not only with a, a good short track performance, but obviously that's foreshadowing a, a pretty excellent Sunday. And then finally, Zach, uh, I'm just going to jump in here and give you the because i like giving zach these because uh, this is up his alley zach what's wrong with loana lecompte 10th <laughs> in the short track on a climbers you know something she's always won i will find out i think we'll talk about that when we get to the burning question of uh that we're going to ask of who the best women's mountain bike racer in the world is so i'm sure i'll look forward to hearing what you guys have to say uh the meds race though elizabeth New names. I love it. We're getting new names, new names as a way. Like, I love that the men's short track is a name maker, like is a way to like get out there, get your sponsorship some time. And we had a rider getting some special sponsorship time, like a rare combo where you're getting the sponsor time. But then you also have the guy commenting on it who's giving you the sponsor time. Right, because he is your team director. No conflict of interest there. No, it's just totally fine. Um, no, it was great. I mean, I think you know it was fun to see like with the, the last line I wrote in my notes about the men's short track is like what a shakeup on this front row for Sunday. I mean, we have, I think the majority of the names on this front row are not 
in the top 10 or, or not in the top five, not, not top eight of the world ranking. Um, I mean, a few of them are, but lots of new names. It's awesome. And a lot of them were up there for a lot of the race. And so they're getting a lot of airtime. They're getting a lot of discussion. And they're not guys who are bad. It's just that they're guys who are regularly in the swarm and might at some point in a short track race be in that top 10. But, you know, in a course like this, if they were willing to commit to this 20 minutes of suffering and these VO2 intervals up a hill, um, they could make it happen. And so, yeah, it's cool. And I think, you know, we saw a great performance from Josh Dubow, obviously, in Nova Mesto. Um, Good to see him having another good performance here. Uh, Martins Blooms is somebody who has regularly been like somewhere in the top 15 and maybe looks good for a lap or two of a cross-country race where you're like, oh, cool. There's a new different flag. It's a slightly different red in the top 10. It's a maroon. Cool. Um, and, you know, to see him get it, to see Jens Sherman's like, you know, we've got a Belgian on the front for a little bit. That doesn't happen very often in mountain bike racing. A, a Belgian rider and then Martin Blums and the KMC team on a Belgian bike, Ridley, making mountain bikes. Who right. knew? Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, I think, you know, tactically, like the men were doing a better job of protecting the inside line at the top of the climb. So there was a little bit more defensive racing or tactical racing happening. Um couple stylish pull-ups uh, like Luca Schwartzbauer a little, like, really stylish pull-up on going over the double at one point like they're having a little bit fun out there um well that's yeah a, that's another thing we're missing Bodie for is the whoops report I mean he really established that as one of his you know he was our official whoops correspondent at the end of the cyclocross season and and there was like a solid tabletop I mean <laughs> And riders were just sending it. I, it was almost like they had no choice but to to get air on some of those. You know, it was the the fastest line was to just send it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of like those varying like height ones or whatever that definitely look way cooler on a mountain bike versus like cyclocross. I forget which race it is that had like the massive mounds where it was like they you get to the top and it was just like all flow and all like looking good on a bike just got sucked out of it. I don't remember which race it was, but uh, yeah, these were obviously they're at a mountain bike park, so they're going to be designed a little bit better. So riders um, can get kind of sendy for me though. Like, you know, Jordan Saru is another guy who has been on and off, but man, he played this race perfectly. I, you know, we had uh, Sherman's and Bloom's were kind of off the front. I think Sherman's was the one who attacked inside two to go and kind of went for it. And Saru was just like, I know exactly what I need to do. And I don't know, tactically, I guess there were tactics in the men race and he played it perfectly similar to what Pauline Ferrand Prevost did. This is also the course where Saru won his world championship. So he's also a man who is comfortable with this off-camber descent. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there, there were some headlines about, you know, him the surprise win for him here. And I'm like, he's, it's just that, it's that feel good from just uh, having done it, having done it before. And such a, yeah, that was, I think if anything was exciting, probably the most exciting thing in the short, in the, yeah, short track was the pass that he made to, 
to take the lead and uh, take this win was was pretty sweet. So, uh, yeah. So I think we already said it's through uh, Schwarzenbauer is and and we'll see. We'll see is Schwarzenbauer able to break out of his uh, XCC specialist role here and move move on to the XCO. That's the that's the question. Uh, Martin Blooms, uh, Sherman's. I, I think y'all are exactly right. Anybody else on that front row? Anton Cooper. There's another. Yeah. He sort of goes along goes along with you know talking about Beck Henderson and Yolanda and folks like that as somebody who sort of pulling forward uh, to come come good in the in the middle of the season. I think he was just stoked with that uh, eighth eighth place in the short track. He's always been one who's not. He's a he's a all on endurance guy. Not really built for short track. Never really likes it. But I think that. Um, you know, he tries more than anyone. It's good to see him on that front row. Well, I think, Bill, you mentioned this in we'll talk, little, the youth report that I think we covered. Uh, you know, you did a good job of breaking down. But looking at kind of just birth years, because that's what the UCI gives you for the, the top 10. 92, 96, 95, 93, 96, 96, 2001, 94, 97, 94. So riders that are really starting, you know, in this men's field, you know, we look at Pitcock when Vanderpool was doing his thing, although Vanderpool's like middle aged now. So Pitcock, still a young guy, and we're like, oh, is there the youth movement? Uh, but in there, these are all guys in their prime. Like in any sport, 27 to 31 is kind of like the prime of your, your athletic career. So it's kind of interesting um, that it's a little bit older, but, you know, worth noting, uh, you noticed there's, uh, you had a good, good find from the UCI website about our guy, uh, Chuck Aldridge here. Chuck Aldridge. Yeah, so there is a list of, I guess these are the petitions of riders who are U23 who petition to race elites. And we see it in cyclocross now. It also happens in mountain bike. And it's kind of interesting. So there were five men who petitioned to race in the elites. And only one opted to do that. And that's a Charlie Aldridge. So Carter Woods was on that list, still racing U23. Um, I think he's really the only one that sticks out to me. The interesting one was on the women's side. We had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven riders who petitioned. The the ones who are allowed, and you talk about the youth movement, uh, Mona Mitterwalder decided to race the lead, as we know, Lynette Berkier, uh, Puck and femme. So those are your four. And then Sophie Pedersen, Noel Bury, and Sarah Courtnovis. Three names I'm not too familiar with. Decided oh, to Sophie Peterson, Sophie is Peterson. the one who's yes, riding the for sure. everyone off of her wheels in the U twenty three. So she would have been the borderline one. No, Carter yeah. Woods is having a good season as well, but I think good decision on there. I, I don't think what I'm saying is uh, of these of these riders, I don't think anybody made a bad decision. Like everybody who decided to go up is performing within the top twenty, if not better. And uh, you know, everybody that stayed is probably benefiting from more more time in the U23. I just you know, it's four on the women's side, which. When you're looking at this, it seems like there's a lot more, but it's interesting that it's only four. I guess it's just because they're all doing so well. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Sophie Peterson is the one that I would be interested to see because she was beating Puck last year in the U23 category. 
developments uh, interesting, interesting because uh, Berkier was beating her also last year, beating last Puck year. last year too. Yeah, but, I mean that's kind of like, and I you know I wanted to do this later on, come back to it. We had talked about it a little bit in the the green room, just sort of our mid year check in with the dynamic duo of of Puck versus Femme, but I think it just everything we saw in cyclocross, we also saw in mountain biking and whatever, you know, switch was flipped. It, it is, it has certainly continued to stay on as far as uh, puck is concerned. And, you know, first we saw in cyclocross, but now also in, um, in mountain biking, a Any, double gimmick, a double gimmick into the show. <laughs> I like it. Anything else we want to um, talk about for this, uh, short track or should we, we move on to the cross country? I, I, I want to start with this women's race only because, and this is no shade on Lars Forrester who won the men's race. I, I think it's more the course than anything else. I don't find this place that inspiring. Please, if y'all can convince me otherwise, I, I'd love to hear it. But it's just uh, just the, the nature of it, you know, from the other courses that we've had this year have just been so dynamic from Nova Mesto where we've already talked about it as, as a cyclocross podcast, that is kind of the cyclocrossers, uh, course, you know, not a ton of climbing, a lot of power, a lot of, you know, straight line descents over rocks. It's, it's, it's technical. It's, uh, it's fast and always just great close racing there. Uh, when we went to Lenzer Haida, just classic course, so much going on there. So much great, the ups and downs and technical stuff and roots and big white rocks and everything else that we can talk about. Leo gang. There's a hill that's really long. There's like, like, so I judge a lot of these courses by what I like to ride here. And, um, there's a tiny section of this course that I would be interested in riding uh, where there's like a narrow band of signal track on a ridge where you're kind of at the top and it's it's like a, a, a little bit of a bench cut. That's about it. I love descending. These descents don't look interesting. They're steep. They're not easy, but they're pretty straight line descents. Um, they're over really fast. Like there's not really a difference to be made. There's a risk to be taken, but there's not really a difference to be made to speak of um and yeah the climbs are just like lonely town up a ski hill uh i yeah i i don't know it's funny because the the leo gang course has been i think it's been a downhill course for considerably longer than it's been a cross-country course but i don't know how much longer it's also kind of new to the downhill circuit but the downhillers ragged on this course for being too bike parky for a long time and it's funny because then i feel like okay so we added a cross-country race to make it a whole weekend the cross-country course kind of sucks too it's like who likes this place i mean i'm sure there are people who like it because they win or whatever but it's um you know whoever's lobbying for leo gang as a venue is doing a great job because it's a it can't be a favorite for many people well, previously the Austrians like it, and Luana Lecomp liked it. May, uh, maybe, maybe that's changed. Uh, I don't know. Where should we start with this one, Zach? I, I I loved what you wrote 
for the bulletin. I, th- I, I think you nailed it there. This was, you know, we sort of talked about the short track and if there was any strategy to it or if it was just kind of like bury your head and, and go as hard as you can. Uh, there, there definitely seemed to be a strategy to this uh, women's cross country race. Yeah, it was a playbook. I mean, I, I'm sure I'll get like hate from some of our listeners, but it uh, Puck Peterson uh, pulled the 2020-21 uh, Denise Betsima playbook and was just like, I'm taking a page straight out of that. I'm going to go as hard as I can. To me, what I, maybe I didn't write about uh, over at the bulletin, I took some uh, post, you know, you know how short the post-race interviews are and you don't get much. But with Puck, she's always very insightful, even if she only gets like 15 words in. And so I wrote about uh, how, you know, some little nugs from both her pre and post-race uh, interview, you know, Elizabeth, she said, ultimately, it's going to come down to who the best climber is. I thought that was a great tautology <laughs> for this course. Uh, but I guess what I... Very Ricky Bobby of her. Yes. What I guess what I found interesting is that she got kind of smoked on the climb at uh, Lenzerheide. That's kind of where she dropped off, and she was not climbing super well. And on Friday, she attacked too early and blew up. I mean, she didn't blow up, but, like, she played it wrong. So I, I guess I found it interesting that she still came in with that knowledge in her back pocket that, like, I'm going to outclimb everyone because I don't think she's been, per se, the best climber. You know, she won at Nova Mesto. She got dropped at Lenzerheide, but she saw something. Uh, you know, she also said, the was it the feeling is good or something at the end uh, about where her, the form is good? Another tautology. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I thought her strategy was interesting um, to go in with that. It was also more than I'm just going to go as hard as I can. she knew she was sort of looking at her competition and and kind of had a plan versus what she's seen i think in previous races mm-hmm. and i she, she loana lecomte the, the race a 2020 2021 loana lecomte move which is just like cool i'm gonna go now and establish a gap and it's going to be hard for anybody to close the gap i'm gonna do it early enough that people are like Shit, do I have to do that now? Uh, and it gets harder. It gets harder to, like, it gets in your head and it gets harder to make that decision to say, okay, I'll put out the effort to close this gap now. Um, and so, like, once she had the gap, she had the gap, she grew the gap, it never came down to speak of. I mean, a little bit in a couple spots, but not, never to speak of. It was never out of a sort of pretty comfortable like that first attack stuck so bill you're basically inviting us to talk about kind of the elephant in the room that we've been observing that kind of plays off last week about riders you could pick for who was going to ride you know who was riding well rode through the field from i think 22nd to 7th can mona mitterwalder win a race until she doesn't suck at starting i mean she had a front row start and I think that's a huge part of Puck's strategy, as you were alluding to. She's like, this is a climber's course. She's probably the best climber out here. And she's just not good at starting. And she fell back again. She was down 30 seconds. Like, you know, I mean, she was down 15 after the prologue. And then she was down like 30 or 40 seconds after one lap into the the race. So I, I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, for sure. I a, a couple things here. One, you know, we talk a lot. 
not a lot. We, we, we joke sometimes in cyclocross sort of porting over this concept from the road about the professional fade. You know, it was something that, uh, your, your sprinters or, or domestiques sometimes will do in long road races where they will just go as hard as they possibly can on a flat leading into a climb and then try to get as far up the climb as they possibly can and then fade back into the group and then not be dropped. And she basically professionally faded to a win. She was like, I'm going to go as hard as I possibly can for as many laps as I can and then hope that there's not enough time to, to, to catch me. And, you know, it, it worked out. And my question for you all, this is, this is also, I, I, I'm bringing in a lot of things that I have absolutely no evidence to back up. That's my, that's my game plan for this week. My other thought with Puck is that after cyclocross, she went straight to the road. Right. And she was training for the road. She has road base. She has road miles. She has road climbing training. She possibly could be better trained. And this goes against what I was saying before, where she still didn't have that last 10 or 15 minutes in races where it seemed like in uh, Lenzerheide. But here with this sustained climb, it seemed almost more like what she was doing on the road and doing it for a longer sustained amount of time as opposed to those shorter efforts on the short track. So maybe she's even like right now, and it seems counterintuitive, better trained to do a race like this than a punchier race i i think that makes perfect sense i mean i I think if you look at her performance in strada bianchi for example like there are more similarities between strada bianchi and leogang than there are between that and nova mesto for example um and so yeah you you don't need technical climbing skills to do well in leogang you need power climbing skills um and she's got them well, so we've seen where Pitcock came in and he wasn't even on good form. He was tired, but we've seen where he's doing this multidisciplinary thing and it's served him well. He's doing, you know, the spring classics, jumping into mountain biking, doing well there. Like Puck Peterson trained on the road. So uh, and maybe listen, like what are what are mountain bikers doing that they're because I've heard this more than once that like, you know, riders get more of a depth that they train harder doing these multidiscipline things, because I always assumed if I was a mountain biker, I would still do huge base before I would do kind of like specific efforts. So like what's what's going on in terms of training wise? Like, does she have a leg up because of of this diversity? Like, should mountain bikers be trying to jump into the spring classics? Maybe like. Some of them do. Um, and I think, you know, I, it, there's definitely to get that sort of base volume, you do have to do a lot of hours on the road. And some of that, maybe it's spring classics or it's just training. I think a lot of them choose to do it without racing. Um, but there's also, you know, this split where depending on what you want to be better at or specialize in, you're spending time in the gym that is, you know, building strength in in that rather than that more of that endurance space. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's a bit of a balance there. I think also, frankly, like, it's not fun to train on the road in the winter. Like, it sucks. Uh, which is why I think, you know, if you're doing cyclocross, there's that. If you're doing the spring classics, because that's something you feel like doing, 
yes, there's maybe a different sort of joy in that. But I think if for a lot of mountain bikers, uh, that's not like super desirable because it's not as fun. Um, and maybe you're going to want to spend more time on your technical training than on that fitness. It doesn't mean it's not important or valuable. It just might be, you know, as you're rationing out your hours and how you want to spend them, not as much of a priority for some people. Here, here's the other thing that happens is that a lot of mountain bikers put a lot of weight into altitude training. And so, you know, you, you heard Bart talking about one of the fa- favorite places that they all end up is Lavigno in, in, in Italy. And they train and they train at altitude. And that's sort of putting in that time for races that are coming up later in the year. Leo Gang isn't that isn't that high. It's it's not really an altitude race. So they're not benefiting as much from that training than Puck would be training just in a in a road type, you know, capacity. So I think I think that's part of it too. And I and I again I am I am not a scientist of any sort. I don't know how any of this stuff works, but maybe what she is doing is breaking the paradigms of how people should be training and where they should be training for, for some of these races. I, I don't think you can base this just on her performances so far, but you're looking at Pitcock doing the same thing, coming in from the same type of training. You saw Vanderpoel coming in and doing it from the same type of training. So maybe that is something that you look at as a mountain biker and maybe balance a little bit between sort of the traditional, I just need to go up high and ride in the mountains, which seems amazing. And as Elizabeth said, would be a lot more fun as opposed to, you know, doing, doing more of the, uh, uh, road, just altitude and just road training that, that these, these teams do and, and, and concentrating on that. So who knows, but it's definitely different. And so far it's, it's, uh, paying off at least for Puck. Back to the race, I want to note one other thing that Puck did differently from anybody else in this race, which is that she's the only rider during the prologue who went in and took an ice water dump on her body. It was hot in Leo Gang, by all reports, uh, considerably hotter than it had been in Lenzerheide, hotter, much hotter than it had been in Nova Mesto. And you're out on a sun-baked alpine meadow uh, and climbing in the sun. You're not in the woods. Um, and she went in prologue as well as subsequent laps. Everybody else is getting a bottle with a lid on it, maybe squirting a little bit on themselves and drinking. She's straight up doing the ice water dump down her back um, from lap one. And I think temperature regulation in this is not to be discounted as potentially important to her performance. Zach, do you think that uh, part of the front of the field, especially after w- discounting Nova Meso, looking at Lenzer Haida, was like, I'm not going to waste all my energy chasing. She's going to come back. I think that that would be a fair conclusion. I mean, they dropped her. <laughs> she kind of, I mean, she didn't blow up, but she kind of was, you know, the first to sink off of that lead group of five. And, you know, I think in Elizabeth... I think there's definitely part of it to what she said. Like, why would I go blow myself up right now when statistically the odds, if you're playing the odds, the odds are she's going to come back. Why should I go blow myself up in this heat in lap one uh, to try to go hunt her down? 
Um, so yeah, I, I 100% Bill. I think that is a great point and a great insight. Uh, I will say like, it was interesting, you know, her talking in the, the post-race interview. Uh, you, Elizabeth, you talked about that shelf and, you know, she didn't just do the damage. She actually got her winning gap by not not necessarily on the climb, but it was by hammering the top of the climb. And I think that's really like that commitment. It's one of those moments where there is like one of the more probably the only tactically, technically interesting part was you get to the top of the climb. You're like, all right, I did some damage. But no, you keep going for just 30 more seconds when everyone else just would be like, all right, we're done. We're good. We did the thing. You know, Risvids was there. Terpster was there. I'm sure there's like, all right, great. We did the thing. Look at us. We have a little bit of a gap. Nice flex. Uh, and and she mentioned it, that she identified that as an area that she wanted to attack. So I thought that was really smart uh, by her uh, tactically. But I also want to talk about how bad she biffed the off camber in laugh one. <laughs> I felt bad. I know. I, was like, I did too. <laughs> like, oh, buddy. This is your but, thing. But you're, you're so good at this. She's otherwise. completely missed the line. She completely She's missed totally the one missed line. The line. <laughs> See, and that's why, that's why I, I, yeah, sort of compared it to Namor. She started on that first, uh, the first, first ledge and ended up on the third. Yeah. And, and she recovered quick enough, but yeah, it was like the one blemish, like the one thing that didn't go well. And she didn't take the whole shot. She's been doing really well, getting her name out there, taking the whole shot. She actually had a Who, me- mediocre start by her standards was in like seven. Was it Keller that passed her there? It was. Um, but yeah, otherwise great race. I mean, you know, she did super well, uh, but then yeah, Monument Walner slow start and she recovered and then just did her thing kind of kind of riding through the field but because she we had a race last year i think where she finished second and i think it was a similar thing where she kind of rode through and you're like all right this is it but we've seen in cyclocross that like starts don't matter but you can't be really 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 bad at them and so hopefully i think for her because she has aspirations to start winning these races i just i think it's going to be tough with the caliber of the field to start 30 seconds back and be like, all right, I'm going to ride through, you know, I'm going to ride through the field and win a race. I, I don't know how easy that is to do in this elite women's field. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, I, it, it, it's a tough ask. And and it's maybe only on a course like this where you can make up that difference. Because I think, you know, and and, and, and just because it's wide open on that climb doesn't mean it's easy to pass someone. Like, if you're making a pass, you're going into the grass, which is going to be a lot more effort than being on the gravel. Yeah, and she was, like, close to 30 seconds down after yeah. the first lap. Yeah. Yeah, she was in a, she was in a hole. Uh, you know, I just kind of interesting that it, you know, it was, like, less the VO2 at the start, that really fast start. But, like, you know, she rode into the race. But, you know, again... We've seen that you can't that like you don't have to be great, but you can't you can't have that as a gaping hole in like your 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 game as a, as a bike racer in mountain biking or cyclocross, uh, because those deficits are just really 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 hard uh, to overcome. Like another little little note, I think yeah, this course has um, it's a little bit easier to get camera coverage of stuff. We still did I think follow the trend of a little bit of over reliance on. The drone footage that we're seeing, 
Um, but the other thing I, th- where I want to be in in trolley media corner uh, about the broadcast on this is it wasn't until looking at Instagram a day or two later that I discovered that Evie Richard had it, Richards had broken a shoe and gotten a flat. We hear none of this on the commentary as far as I gathered. We do not see footage in the pits of her probably changing a shoe, which is the kind of thing that I would think would make the coverage if you've got a good production caller and you've got camera coverage on something like that. So I it was just kind of like, especially not seeing that from the pits and not thinking like, maybe we should have an eye on this kind of stuff. Um that, well, one, it was a bummer because I wondered what happened to Evie. Uh, but then to kind of think, like, what other storylines are we maybe missing here? Because this isn't something. It's like if the cameras aren't catching it, you can't fault the commentators either because it's not like they're getting some other camera footage that we're not. Um, at least not, you know, if it's not being shot, they're not seeing it. And and maybe this is wishful thinking, but I think with the Evie, too, if she's up there and you know, she's after the uh, the the start loop, she's she's in the mix. If she's up there, she's somebody who's not afraid to go to the front and just just pin it. So that may have been somebody who would have been willing. I don't think she could have kept up with Puck, to be honest. But I think she could have at least been a motivated uh, person in that front group that could have maybe, hopefully, kept it a little closer. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess my other joking thing is we had two Austrian women who finished uh, on the podium. Uh, we had uh, Alessandra Keller finished on the podium for the second year in a row in Switzerland. I, I feel like the Dutch, I feel like Jenny Risfeds is kind of getting done. You know, she's getting the short end of the straw here because she doesn't get a home race, which clearly is benefiting uh, riders in this women's field. We saw it, you know, with Chris Blevins winning at Snowshoe. We saw it with Gwendolyn Gibson winning at Snowshoe in the short track race. I think there might be something there. You know, our guy Luca, he might be petitioning for a, um, you know, a race in Germany. And I guess Alpstadt. Oh, that's needs right. To come yeah, back. yeah, He's exactly, got it. exactly. Uh, so I don't just an observation, but cool to see. You saw how much it meant to Jenny, uh, to Laura Steger. She was so stoked, and you know, because we've kind of like pegged her as a. Uh, short track specialist and to get a great result uh, was kind of foreshadowing that the short track specialist had a good day here. I mean, it was the, the the brief deviation into downhill world is that it's a double win for Austrians in the downhill races as well. So Austria has a good weekend. Maybe now we know why Leo gang is on the circuit. It's the Austrian Federation that's petitioned for it. Yeah, for sure. I it's nice to see Andreas Cole bounce back after uh, it looked like he may have been one of the strongest the week before. So it was a, a good win there. Good win for uh, Super Rookies uh, Endura sponsored squad as well. Uh, so last year, we kind of hinted at a possible bit of Austrian MTB beef between Mitterwalder and Steger definitely, you know, seemed like there was some competitive juices before between the two. I'm going to say Mona, maybe I'm just putting this in in there and it didn't happen, was looking over her shoulder a bit and doing doing some time checks on where Steger was. And that was kind of after she knew Puck wasn't 
going to get caught that that was that was the next goal maybe it would have been anybody in third place but i have to think that having a uh, steger in third place definitely um was more motivation to 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 keep pushing on those pedals yeah best austrian of the day award was definitely uh on her mind i think so bill yeah we have our young dutch power rankings is it a power ranking it's not really a vi- it's not a vibe check it's not a power rankings. What are we gonna what are we gonna call it? Hmm, I'll have to come back on that. Okay. To come back and check We don't have a name, that. but how yeah. orange. <laughs> Level of orange. Okay. But you you have you had a good discussion. We we've got two riders. We've got Puck, we've got Femme. They've been like inextricably linked for the last year now. And you had some interesting uh thoughts on that, I thought. I, I just don't I'm not sure what to think. I mean, we all, you know, when they were fighting it out during cyclocross season, I think, Zach, you honed on this a lot, just the the difference between Femme, who was kind of the Terminator out there, didn't really make any mistakes, was just steady steady and super strong. And then you had Puck, who was willing to take some more chances, probably had a little bit of the edge on the, on the technical side. And then it kind of sort of changed a little and Puck became the, the, the stronger one. And that's, you know, when I started asking who the um, best cyclocross, and, and I didn't even go men and women. I, I was just like, who's the best cyclocross racer in the world right now? And, and that's, that, that was kind of the, the, the debate that we would have. Uh, and then coming into mountain bike season i it's it's not even close anymore i mean it just seemed like once once puck got on it she's kind of leaving femme in the dust this is our this is our world champion in cyclocross what's wrong with femme van empel <laughs> i mean i think what's wrong with femme van empel is that she didn't race mountain bike world cups last year and puck did and you know, it's it's a different game, which is not to say that Femme's not a good mountain biker. After all, she's the Dutch, former Dutch national champion in mountain bikes. Like she's, it's not like she doesn't know what she's doing, but she didn't race the World Cup circuit. She's on a road focused team um, that does send a couple of riders to mountain bike World Cups. And it's great that they're allowing her to do that. But kind of to go back to that training we were talking about earlier potentially this is the counterpoint because fem has done much of the same road training and has gone to road training camps with jumbo visma and that whole support structure um but i i mean i i think that's the big difference she was certainly you know for you know riding in the top 10 on this course but i think racing the mountain bike world cup circuit is not the same as racing the Dutch mountain bike circuit and not the same as racing world cyclocross either. Do we know what happened to her? I mean, she only made it two laps. I don't know what happened to her. It's amazing. We don't have any camera co- coverage of that. Sorry. Well, She's also, she's also, <laughs> I mean, she's, doesn't matter. <laughs> it seems like whoever is, uh, the social media manager for cyclocross is on her a lot more than uh, anybody for mountain biking because it seems like if she doesn't have to put anything on Instagram, she ain't gonna. So really, uh, no, 
not not sure what happened. Maybe somebody can uh, let us know what happened to them there. So, yeah, I think if if it was a mechanical, if something did happen, maybe maybe we maybe it's not fair to to say she wasn't as strong if she didn't get to actually race this race. Well, I will say this though. I mean, mountain biking is much harder than cyclocross. Like there is a lot of skill. And I'm terrible, uh, but I was a Cat 2 cyclocross racer in 2015. I upgraded, you know, raced pretty well as cyclocross. Tried mountain biking, Cat 2 comp. Middle of the field getting smoked by dudes wearing fanny packs, baggies, beer guts, Hawaiian shirts, just absolutely getting destroyed. Because I had no no bike handling ability. And, you know, I think Femme is newer to the sport. You know, she came into it. She's relatively new still. Um, you know, she's only been mountain biking for two or three years, I think. And, you know, we saw at Nova Mesto, the climb, she was in fourth place and she went back to 20th because on the first descent in a prologue. So I just, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's even that. I just don't, I don't know if she has the skill set right now, like is a hard sport. Like mountain bike is hard. Like go do mountain biking and try to be fast at it. You have to be really good technically. And I just don't, I don't think in cyclocross, you have to be as good technically you need to understand the ins and outs of it but cyclocross is still by and large a fitness sport yeah and and sort of staying on that same wavelength that we're looking at our dutch women cyclocross stars at least a little more hopeful for uh Celine del carmen alvarado 26 in this race which is just from her you know, other, other results, uh, not bad. And I, I think again, you know, sailing much like in cyclocross gets hurt by having these damn young kids, uh, that, or she's going to be compared to from these other Dutch cyclocross stars coming over because she's only in her second year in, in the elites. So, you know, still sort of figuring it out. 26, not that bad and not that bad and room, room for improvement for sure. But she's not walking into the door and winning elite races from, from the jump like her. God, she's only 25. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what happens when these kids upgrade early. Uh, nice race for Kate Courtney. I think she was happy with getting back into the top 10. Good result for her. Anything else worth pointing out for this uh 12th place for uh Gwendolyn Gibson I think really nice uh result for her as well Haley Batten I think had a practice crash bad crash and practice uh on, on the face yeah up. on the face I think also hand issues but still was able to sort of gut it out for 16th place um and then you know some of the people we thought were going to do better Keller in 18th place you know Tauber down there in 14th so I don't know. I as much as I, I didn't really think this was the most exciting racing, I think the results are exciting because it's just who knows what's going on in the women's field and that's awesome. I love it. All right, I'm gonna ask the question, Zach, since you started it last week. <laughs> we'll just stick to the women. Who is who is the is is it even here's here's the thing. When when you asked last week who the best <laughs> mountain bike racer in the world was and i said loana and you all were like oh we're not so sure and i was like well who else is there puck and you both poo-pooed me for bringing her name up as the as the second alternative 
So I mean, I, I said the jury was out and she was in my mix. It's funny because I was talking about this after the podcast and uh, Will and my husband says to me, it's if only we had some point system to, to determine who the best cross-country mountain ah. bikeler in the world was. <laughs> but that's not... If that's... only there was a point system. Like, yeah, but... but and... No, no, that's not how that works. That's not, yeah. that's not how no, that works. It's not. It's not. I, I, the, 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 this question is about vibes. Like, you can't <laughs> put numbers on this. I mean, no. Pitcock is probably the best mountain bike male, and he's not even racing. Like, what's his, right. you know, what's his UCI ring? So... Tell Willem that, like, I, I know he's he's familiar with vibes. He's probably consumed he our, concept, our he, content. He, he consumes he our content. Mm-hmm. Um, I are we? I don't know. I'm still like. I mean, I guess we have to make a decision. But I felt like Bill. It was more definitive in cyclocross season. Like it was just kind of clear who the best at any given time was. And I mean, I Puck seems to be going pretty well. But you know, I got. I think what's interesting about this is we know that success in mountain biking can be fleeting for given parts of the season. So we'll, you know, Euros, I think, are this weekend. And then we have another World Cup. So we're getting a lot of data for Elizabeth, for your for your your algorithm and your, your data input. So, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, it's good to point out that Euros are this weekend. Loana has that jersey and is likely going to want to be defending it. Um, and so... You know, is which is more important to her, winning Leo Gang or keeping the Euro Champs jersey? Yeah, no. These jer- are legitimate questions to consider. People like jerseys, and if we did go by Willem's boring system, Puck has uh, a hundred and forty point lead right now in the World Cup uh, series. So yeah. 781 points for Puck. Pauline's in second at 640. Loana's in third at 630. Drops down to uh, Ann Terpstra, Keller, and Mitterwalner in fourth, fifth, and sixth. Uh, Mitterwalner, if she wants to catch Puck, has her work cut out for her. She's already like 250 points behind. Yeah. And in our defense, which I said to Willem when he brought this up with me, I said, the point standing's very close right now. Any of these four riders could take the the lead in the overall, depending on how the podium shakes out. So I think you're, it wasn't I, a big I lead I, before. So, it's a bigger lead now. I, 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 it's wild. I it's just that Puck Peter. So you know, we'd be like, hey, she, you know, she finished like sixth or whatever in the first short track race, and we're like, oh, that's great. Our favorite, you know, cyclocross crossover is doing well. Like she's on the conversation and like now we're like yeah she might be the best mountain bike uh female mountain biker in the world it's just it's mind-blowing it's amazing it's amazing i think you know it's 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 hard to feel confident going out on a limb and saying that when you're also just sort of admittedly a super fan of someone um it's pretty cool yeah well fortunately here at the the media pit we with euros at least we blur the line between fanning and journalism so right Lars Forster won a race as well that was second world cup win that was really cool for him I stoked for him and actually like the top three for a good chunk of this race you had two people who had never won a world cup in Luca Schwartzbauer and Andre Sink who Andre Sink is the one that's like surprising to me that's like poor guy always a bridesmaid never a bride in terms of world cup wins uh 
And then you have Forrester with one win, kind of with a come behind, come from behind victory. And his other win, I'm sure some people had discredited a bit because it was at that weird race in the United States that you had to go to at Snowshoe um, after Worlds. So it's kind of that like, is this a lame duck race for most people anyway? Maybe this guy takes a win there. Um so I think, you know, the trend from men's short track continues into men's cross country. You've got a different set of players fighting it out for a win. Yeah. So this race, th- there was a storyline for this race. And I-, I think it just sort of got a little jumbled up somewhere in the interpretation. A Swiss rider was supposed to win this. Like Nino won his record-breaking race in his home course in Lenzerheide, got his shiny new bike. And and we had that, which we didn't talk about l- last week, we had that sort of awkward post-race interview where they were asking uh, Matthias Flukiger what he, you know, how great it was that Nino broke the record and he was as diplomatic as he could be and going, it's uh, great for the fans or whatever, whatever he, he said. But what was supposed to happen was Fluky was supposed to win this race. You know, Nino fades and then he's like, look, I'm the Swiss guy. And he was going to be at the top. Uh, that didn't happen. He uh, he he was up there. He looked like the strongest rider, and then uh, unfortunately had a flat and had to uh, uh, hand hand the reins over over to his countrymen. But I don't know if this is where you want to go right now, Zach. But since I've done this to you twice already, I just gotta you know to go go for the triple. What's wrong with Nino Scherter? <laughs> You know what? After our conversation where I was like, definitely Olympics next year, like that'll be the swan song. And Bill, you were like, what more is the for this guy to do? I mean, this is the ultimate letdown game. Is it not? I mean, the emotional high of setting the record at home. Who cares? Like, you know, it's like the game after you upset someone and you come down and you got to play like some other team. It's a course that doesn't favor him. So I'm just going total emotional letdown game. And he was just checked out. This is a uh, Lauren Sweck at, was it, is it Holaham the, the race after nationals where, where he's drinking champagne before the race starts, like in the start grid. Yeah. yeah he's going from like goat to lame duck session. Like, it's like, cool. I got my fancy bike. I'm just going to like peace out in the back. Well, but that's Whatever. my whole thing with like, I don't know how anyone races the lame duck World Cups and cyclocross races because there's this emotional high of worlds. And somehow you're supposed to like, unless you're Lauren Swack because you're Mr. February, like just really struggle to to keep it going. So I'm willing to give him a pass. I'm willing to give him a pass for a few more races. I mean, I Bill, I think there's like strong argument. I felt the support for your argument that like. Maybe he is done. I mean, he's accomplished the things. We'll see what happens. It's only one race. And I think it's fair to not expect him to do that. But it's huge bummer about Flukager. Obviously, he had the streak. Um, he had the disappointing outing uh, at Lenzerheide because of you know his hand issues. And I, I thought he looked like the strongest rider. And I really question if Forster would have been able to win this race if he did not flat. Um, you know, because the two riders at the front, you know, we have uh, Sink, the Changler, notorious he's back the changler's back 
notorious for just not having that last little umph. You have Schwartzbauer. I want to get to my, it's not a conspiracy theory, but it's my theory about Schwartzbauer. And my theory about Schwartzbauer is the man's been playing the long game. So in cycling, we love riders who just race with their hearts on their sleeves, right? Like we all loved like, you know, domestically Carolyn Money. Like everyone just loves her because like she lays it all out there. You know, I think it's why I'm team Wout over Vanderpool is because, you know, he just puts it all out there. Schwartzbauer was building a cult following by doing this. He's like, you know, last year, some flashes of success, going out hard, you know, might get in the top five in a short track race, winning hearts and minds and making people a Lucas Schwartzbauer fan. Now we're seeing a year and a half of him getting the love. By the way, there's a fireworks display going on in my neighborhood behind. Hopefully that doesn't come on the recording. Too bad. Cubs win. Yeah, I, I don't live in that neighborhood. <laughs> I guess I could live on the north side, but not White I don't Sox live in Lake win. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think he's just winning hearts and minds. And like, there's a lot of Lucas Schwartzbauer fans out there. And, you know, when he delivered in a way like he did in this race, I bet there were a lot of people who knew who Lucas Schwartzbauer were who wouldn't know who he was if he wasn't playing the long game. I'm with you. I, 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 th- I like this. I like this theory. I, I think it's a good, good storyline to. To follow, he's he. If we're if we're looking at Willem's rankings, he's moved up to. That's what they're now going to be called. Uh, <laughs> he's moved up to third uh, behind Jordan Saru and Nino Scherter in first and second. So again, a, a mix up on sort of who we expect to be near the top of the men's rankings too. So maybe maybe in the end, Leo Gang just became like the most exciting turning point of the season. Who knows? Who knows? I mean. I, I was disappointed in the men's field that we don't actually get a test of whether this is a true climber's course because we don't have a true small climber body Tom Pidcock showing us whether this is a true climber's course. So I think, I mean, there is an angle to which this is interesting because I don't think, I mean, Sink has been kind of known as a climber. But none of the guys who are in contention are the type of guys that you mark or, or earmark as saying, like, this is a real climber of a guy, um, least of all Luca Schwartzbauer. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, there is a piece of this that's like, well, either is Leo Gang really a climber's course or is that a bit of a canard or is did we just not have somebody in the men's field that could prove to us that it is? Yeah, but it's also weird. Like, like your guy Valero didn't didn't make his like last yeah. lap run, and he's he's a climber despite right. being like seven feet tall. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. You know, again, uh, sticking with eighth place, Anton Cooper is a bit of climber as well. It was down there. We got like uh, Bredo and Grio, who are. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they're Star Wars characters, but they, <laughs> they they seem to be like hanging out in the top top of these uh, races, all uh, hanging out right next to each other uh, in in a lot of these races. But yeah, I I, I think it's really interesting because the the storylines. I think after Nino winning that, the storylines on the men's side are like really tough to figure out. Yeah, it's a it's a. It's a weird season for that, I think. Or there's just sort of a, a shifting or a recalibration that needs to happen before we can sort of figure out like what 
what is there? It feels like a transition point. It feels like there's some, yeah, there isn't really sort of a defined narrative there yet. And, you know, but, it, but you have a few of these sort of like, is it a fluke or is it a breakout year for someone like Alan Hatherley? And, you know, doesn't have a win, but he's had some top fives. He's had some pretty impressive last lap performances over the last couple of years. And, you know, makes one heck of a move to get back around Flicky when Flicky passes him. Like, Flicky put a lot into chasing back after his flat. I mean, I also love the, like, dramatic moment of his, like, number flapping in the wind on his back, and he just rips it off, and he's done with it, and he's chases. But he closes 15 seconds in half a lap. Like, that's pretty, pretty solid move. But he's had some bad luck, right? He hasn't injured wrist they were to saying during the short track race at least that he's still working with having like all of his cockpit controls on the one side with the wrist that's functional so that means like you're operating your shifting and your dropper all out of the same hand that's a lot to deal with um in not where your habit like not where you're habitually going for that lever um so you know i think Jury's out. Like once that wrist heals, is he ready to sort of show us what's up? Because it seems that the fitness is there. Well, and they they the broadcast team, you know, took a little inspiration from the Belgies. There was some good hero cam. Like I as the I felt like there was a lot of like where's fluky. It was the first time I felt like we were getting good coverage of where things were, and they just kept like cutting back to him. Uh, over and over but i think you guys make a a good point i I guess i've kind of like i think i was getting at this last week that what's the storylines with the men field we're seeing a bunch of kind of guys in their prime of their career theoretically you know 27 to 31 years old winning races here and there but there's no the nino storyline we've got the pidcock storyline we had the vanderpool storyline in the past you know the flukager storyline was kind of there the last few years but it's like who are going to step up as our to not just be a random guy who wins a race? Like who's going to be someone who like goes on a heater or has a disappointing race and comes back and becomes kind of like, you know, the narrative storylines that that we talk about. And I think that we kind of concluded last week that it might be a couple of years of this till we figure it out. Yeah, and you you also hit on something. You know, three races in a row we had you know Pitcock winning and piecing out, and then Nino winning and maybe mentally piecing out and then fluky not, you know, having a mechanical and not winning. So we, we still really haven't had a just straight up competition. It's it's almost like we're starting the season now. So I I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. It it is to be determined what that storyline is going to be. I will say, uh, you know, kudos to the, to the production team this week that they uh, didn't miss any of the moves because there, there weren't any. <laughs> so if we get these races going forward, they're just they're going to nail it every time. And I, I felt like, Bill, to your point about the gaps on the famed uh, ski ski lift climb, the ultimate in camera compression. I felt like the drone actually helped to like For be sure. like here's the gaps because there were gaps, and it's like oh, Puck has a lead like that's a lead you know and it's just that is so deceiving like that climb is like namur on you know the namur climb on 
10 times as long or whatever. So it seemed like that would be an area. But, you know, unfortunately, the reality is that they rely too much on it. But it was actually helpful to understand what was going on in this case. Yeah. And it's got to be psychologically, like, brutal to be racing that, to to see the person in front of you and to know they are a minute ahead of me. Like, yep, they're right there. I can see them. They haven't made the turn yet. But it's going to take me a whole damn minute to get to where they are, even though it's right there and I can see it. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. That's, it's horrible. All right. Did we do it? <laughs> we did it. Let's go on to a more interesting race next. I agree. Uh, before we head out here, uh, this this is episode 300 of Cyclocross Radio. And uh, not to make anything special about it, but been at it for a while. It's, so everybody that's uh, been here since 2015, and even those of you who have come along since that time, thanks for uh, hanging in there. Thanks for supporting us. And um Thanks for continuing to come back, and I guess we'll see you next time. Well, congrats to you, man. Thanks. I like Good job, I, Bill. Well, and I, you noted the irony of 300th episode being a mountain bike episode. Um, but I, I, you've just done so much with the podcast. You've had different people on. You've done different things. You've done interviews. You've done mountain biking or whatever. And so, I don't know. I think it's a testament to you, Bill, and like the longevity. And it's really an accomplishment for you. So... Congrats, man. (laughs) Thank you very much. Good stuff. Good stuff. And on that note, we will see you all in the next one. Hey, it's Bill again a couple days later. A a rare postscript to an episode. I know. Hour 20, I thought you were done. And and here I am, back again. Uh, I just just wanted to say uh, that I I did try to make the video that Zach was... uh, prodding me to uh, for the CXs and Os on that that downhill off camber and between the footage sort of going back and forth and not really able to get good timing on it and and more importantly I don't want to throw them under the bus more importantly the fact that everybody really rode it the same and it was no disadvantage to Puck or advantage to Eevee or anything like that they pretty much put in pretty constant times every time down there so my whole theory I just really just discard that whole part of the podcast. All right. See you on 301.